That is the voice of Israeli Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conriquez revealing that Hamas and other militant jihadis have now launched more than 1,600 rockets into Israel. Many of them stopped by the Iron Dome, certainly not all. And um, as the bombs, you know, rain down on Israel, the predictable blame game is underway because Israel is always seen as the aggressor when responding to terror attacks. And that's because Hamas uh, is very effective at hiding behind the people of Palestine, you know, using them as shields. So they shoot, Israel responds, and then Hamas pushes out as much propaganda as it can when their shields, who are often women and children, get killed. And as uh, Terry Glavin writes in a terrific and I think a very informative piece in the National Post, he says, quote, by using human shields, Hamas doubles down on its war crimes. But there is no equivalence between Israel's defensive targeting of Hamas launch sites in Gaza and the rockets targeting Israeli civilians. Terry joining me now. And of course, you know, his work in the National Post, Ottawa Citizens and of course, McLean's. Good to have you. Hi, Alex. Um, you know, the bombing is relentless, and from those I'm speaking to in Israel, they describe this as terrifying because the missiles are reaching civilians' uh, areas in Tel Aviv that are normally safer, and now you've got Hezbollah bombing Israel out of Lebanon. Um, and yet it is always Israel that's asked for restraint. And I think, you know, if not for the dome, which Hamas is clearly trying to overwhelm, the death toll for Israelis would be in the thousands, and, and yet Palestinian women and children would still be killed. Yeah, it's um, there is something very, very peculiar about the way that particular conflict is discussed. Um, and I don't know if it's something to do with a kind of a social pathology of the of the age, but um, there has been an increasing tendency to discuss the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict I don't even know if we should describe it quite that way, but that's how it's described, as uh, as though there aren't actually human beings involved. Um, you know, people who don't have any real stake in it, people who don't have any real stake in politics, people for whom politics is kind of a hobby or a performance, um, I think uh, seem to have lost uh, some sense that this is actually uh, this actually involves human beings that the Palestinian people are flesh and blood human beings in the same way that the, the Israelis are. And that, uh, you know, this is about life and death for a lot of uh, people who I think ordinarily just sort of go about their everyday lives and uh, don't particularly want to do any harm to anyone. And, um, and now they are dying by the dozen. And uh, the way, the way, the way that, you know, I mean, I think it's been a, a long, you know, it's not an original observation, but for for a long time, um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been sort of understood as a bit of a David and Goliath mm -hmm. uh, uh, phenomenon, with uh, Hamas almost cast in the role of some sort of plucky uh, resistance. The term resistance is used, organization against this great sort of behemoth. Of, of Israel, and um, this is an absolute, not a distortion of uh, of the reality on the ground, and the reality that I think most Palestinians face in the West Bank and Gaza. Um, the uh, Israel has been in a perpetual state of war for years, um, and there has been a kind of a War Measures Act approach to the predicament that Israel finds itself in 
And a lot of things that might seem normal if they were only temporary measures have become permanent or semi-permanent in Israel. And uh, they are, you know, they're not nice. It's not pleasant, the occupation of the West Bank. Um, it's not a nice life for uh, the Palestinians who live there. Certainly not a nice life for Gaza, for the people of Gaza. But to cast uh, you know, the Jewish state of Israel as the villain of the peace um, is a gross distortion um, of um, the real world. Mm-hmm. And the prime and minister, you know, he, he doesn't condemn the actions and he calls or uses language like a de-escalation. But then he does fuel that narrative of the Israeli settlements and the evictions of Palestinians. But that, as you say, it's been going on for years and it didn't start this particular war. But Hamas has capitalized, um, you know, on recent um, confrontations with Israeli police at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But that that narrative that, you know, Israel attacked a holy site, it's now baked in. It is. And it's, uh, you know, even if you look at, uh, I think you've, you've been to Jerusalem, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, I will. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I love Jerusalem uh, and I love East Jerusalem. And uh, the Sheikh Jarrah uh, district is, uh, is, is, is a lovely place to wander. And <laughs> the, um, the, you know, we, the way the story has been described is that I mean, some of the language, and I hate to say this, but some of our own politicians, maybe the New Democrats are the worst, the way they've described this, you know, you would think that uh, there's some kind of ethnic uh, cleansing going on uh, in Sheikh Jarrah, and that uh, that's, you know, these poor uh, put-upon Palestinians are are, are simply reacting as anyone would. Um, There's actually nothing of the kind happening there. Um, Sheikh Jarrah is an interesting story. It's an ancient uh, as much of uh, the the, uh, the the state of Israel is, is an ancient area of Jewish occupation and history and life. And um, there have been various, you know, administrations from the, uh, the Romans, the Ottomans, the British. Uh, it, it's, it's a long and complicated story. The interesting thing about Sheikh Jarrah is that um, it kind of encapsulates the whole struggle. There are, there's only about eight families that we're talking about here, eight Palestinian families who may face eviction. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Bibi Netanyahu has, has kind of lathered it on a bit by calling it a mere real estate dispute. But it is a property dispute. And sure. fundamentally, it's a dispute between um, uh, uh, Jewish organizations, the Sephardic, the Sephardic an Ashkenazi a Jewish organizations that have acquired a property in Sheikh Jarrah in uh, the 1870s. Uh, there was already, of course, an existing Jewish community there. That community was ethnically cleansed in 1948 with the establishment of the State of Israel when, uh, when it fell on the Jordanian side of the border. And then in 1967, it became part of uh, Israel. Some uh, Jewish families began to move back. Um, there was some displacement. Nobody's been evicted from Sheikh Jarrah, by the way. Nobody's been evicted from Sheikh Jarrah at all since, I think, 2009. There was a, one of the property disputes was involved, was resolved in that way. Um, 
but it involves the, the status of the people there. They're Jerusalem, Jerusalemites, and they have a special status um, because they, 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 you know, they have to kind of decide, you know, are you going to vote in Palestinian elections or are you going to participate and vote in Israeli elections? Um, the, uh, the elections that were supposed to be held this month, uh, I think that's the thing to keep your eye on. Sure. Uh, The Palestinian elections. There was, uh, of course, one election. The last, I think, was 2005. Uh, And ever since then, you know, the elections being postponed. There was a civil war of a sort between Hamas and Fatah uh, over the the control of the Palestinian Authority. Um, The election this time around was postponed, I think, it's fair to say the reason that uh, it was postponed was because uh, Abu Mazen thought that he was going to lose the votes of the people of East Jerusalem. Um, and there's about 350,000 of them. And um, so uh, it canceled the election. And uh, Hamas wants to be the champion of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is uh, one of the three most holy sites in Islam. Uh, it's very symbolic, and Hamas is a, is a Islamic organization. They want to create an Islamic state uh, from the river to the sea in territory mm-hmm. currently occupied by the state of Israel, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and they want to be the, uh, the, 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 the champion of Al-Aqsa in the eyes of the the Muslims of the world. Um, And so they've been able to whip up this hysteria and frenzy about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. There was supposed to be a Supreme Court decision this month on the eight families and the properties that they've been occupying and haven't been paying any rent on for, gosh, more than a decade, I think it is now. and uh, they might they might be right, by the way. I'm, I, I mean, I, I'm not a lawyer and, I'm, and I, you know, who, who knows? Perhaps the families have a, leg- a legitimate claim, um, but the uh, Supreme Court of Israel is not making a ruling on it because they, they want to de-escalate. They're trying to calm things down. Right. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Hamas has taken this opportunity to present itself as the champion of Al-Aqsa, the champion of the people of uh, East Jerusalem and Sheikh Jarrah, and uh, and so has been raining uh, all of these missiles down on mm. Israel. Now, Israel has responded by uh, its usual method. This absolute miracle of, of, of Iron Dome has pre- uh, prevented these so many of these rockets from, from entering Israeli airspace or from landing in Israeli towns and villages, but uh, it, it's not perfect and, and, and rockets get through. And then so Israel's response has been to very carefully target uh, rocket launch sites and Hamas individuals and infrastructure within Gaza. And one of the questions I always ask people who get animated by this, uh, you know, you hear, oh gosh, you know, they're destroying whole streets of Gaza and indiscriminately bombing uh, streets. And it, it's, I, that's just simply not true. And I don't know another uh, conflict in the history of warfare where one side has taken such pains and effort to reduce civilian casualties. Right. I, I just don't yeah. know of another dispute in history where this, this is so. 
Um, let, let, let me let, let me ask you this because I'm, I'm going to run up against the clock. I mean, you've got guys like Jagmeet Singh who will play to the base. They're asking, you know, he's asking Trudeau to stop sending arms. You know, that's not going to happen. You know, never do they ever call Hamas or Hezbollah to stop using women and children as bait. So, it, yeah, it plays well to the base. But we've got the U.S. evacuating military personnel and service. You've got people in Israel right now um, telling me that they've we've now crossed a Rubicon, that, that Israel is not going to go to war. They are at war. So where do you see yeah. this going? It's a very difficult thing to do, to look into any kind of a crystal ball and say, this is what's going to happen in that part of the world. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but it's not going to end well for Hamas. It never does. Hamas always wages war uh, that they know they will lose, and they always declare victory when they lose. And uh, the people who suffer in this are ordinary Israelis and Palestinians. Um, I think people have to understand Hamas in the same context as Boko Haram, as the Taliban, as Islamic Jihad, as Al-Qaeda, as ISIS. They are an Islamic theocratic fascist movement, and they will not be uh, reasoned with, I'm afraid. I mean, people just have to get their heads around that and resign themselves to that. Um, And I just wanted to touch on on a paper that was produced, if I may, by the uh, McDonald's Laurier Institute mm-hmm. on the idea of criminalizing in uh, giving force and effect to international conventions against uh, using uh, civilians as human shields. Um, I, I think people want, might want to look that up. I think it's a very good idea. It's a good paper. And I think it would help clarify what's going on here. Hamas yeah. produced a propaganda video today on their new suicide drones. It's very interesting to watch because they are out in the open. They are surrounded by, you know, landscape in Gaza. Uh, there's no buildings. There's no civilian infrastructure. And uh, that's if they're going to launch rockets, you would think, well, why aren't you launching rockets from that place or places like that? But they hide those rockets uh, in schools, uh, on top of uh, underneath hospitals. Um, they are they it's a win-win for them when Palestinians get killed yeah because yeah. they've been able to fire those rockets uh, they've been able to hit re- civilians randomly they've been able to hide behind civilians randomly and if the civilians get killed then they can blame Israel and far too many people in rich comfortable countries like Canada uh, for some reason are duped by this yeah well, they can easily be bought by sound bites and images, and uh, you've got to, as you point out, and certainly on your Twitter feed, that a lot of this propaganda is years old. So it's it's you know worth uh, looking at both sides and, and both sides deeply. Terry, I'm up against the clock. I appreciate your time so much because I know that you're doing a lot of writing right now. So I uh, appreciate the perspective and the insight. Okay, you did. Thanks. It's it's a nonsensical place, but yes, you did. Thank you so much. <laughs> That is uh, Terry Glavin, who, you, of course, you can read in the National Post, and McLean's, who is writing, and it's worth uh, picking up, uh, writing from people who actually know the area and, and know the conflict and understand what's behind it. So there you go.